You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And co-hosting with me today, I have our Director of Recruitment, Casey Galpin. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Dr. Michael Fenster, interventional cardiologist and professor of culinary medicine. He is passionate about how food affects our health, and which led to a website, chefdrmike.com, then which led to a cookbook, Let Food Be Thy Medicine, and now he is filming a health television pilot called Dr. Mike Cooks. We are really excited to have him on the podcast, so let's give Dr. Michael Fenster a warm welcome, and let's get started. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific Companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. Thank you so much, Dr. Fenster, for talking with us today. Oh, thank you all for having me today. It's, uh, it's absolutely a pleasure to be here with you. So I'm going to throw this over to Casey to get us started. Yeah, Dr. Finster, what we like to do is just to uh, give everybody that's listening kind of um, a, a basis for you, can you give us a quick overview of your background, uh, where you grew up, what the kind of training you went through, and where you're at now? Well, sure. I grew up uh, all along the East Coast. I was born in South Bronx, me and J-Lo hanging in the hood. Uh, then, then I grew up uh, in upstate New York, the New Jersey area, um, and I then uh, moved to Pittsburgh for high school and really was in the South for a good bit after that, attending medical school at the Medical College of Virginia, University of Virginia, where I did cardiology, interventional cardiology, some NIH-sponsored research for a couple of years in microvascular physiology. Uh, and then, again, I kind of stayed in the South doing my residency at Wake Forest, uh, Bowman Gray Hospital, and uh, then really practiced pretty much in the South in the Virginia, North Carolina, uh, Georgia, Florida area doing interventional cardiology. Um, before I went to medical school, I had picked up a, a job working in the restaurant industry, which was pretty natural for me. Uh, my background, my mom was a great home cook. I remember watching the old shows, Jewel Child, Graham Care, uh, cooking shows with her. So food had always been a, a passion of mine. And uh, so I got into the restaurant industry, actually as a dishwasher, then we'll work my way up to executive chef and, and really kept that love of, of food, that, that passion uh, for great food and what I call a food experience. And then over the years, though it seems like these are very uh, dichotomous disciplines, interventional cardiology and diet, over the years they've really come back together and melded. And, and right now, I do some locums work, and I also uh, teach uh, culinary medicine, which is an emerging discipline, uh, at the University of Montana. And we're in the process. We launched our first class introduction to culinary medicine, a great response uh, from the attendees of the college. And we're in the process now of fleshing that out into a 
a full degree program and offering things like summer intensives in culinary medicine with a certificate as well as we're going to have a CME program this summer. Wow. That's incredible. So physicians will be able to come up there and uh, get their CME credit and take a culinary medicine um, class. Correct. So we're going to offer, it should be, I think it's that last week in July. We're looking at July 20th, 2020. A lot of 20s there, July 20th, 2020. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to offer an intensive. And so that's basically my three-credit semester introduction to culinary medicine course over just several days, Monday through Friday. And additionally, uh, people are going to have the opportunity because I have a joint uh, appointment in the, our College of Health as well as our culinary school uh, to attend cooking classes in the mm. afternoon. Uh, yeah, because it's very important if you're going to go out and teach culinary medicine that you are familiar with the techniques and the methods and, and really sort of a, a chef's perspective on things because that really adds a lot uh, into the equation, into the learning. And then that Friday afternoon at the end of the week, we're going to have a CME program with some featured speakers and and cover some broader uh, aspects and applications of culinary medicine as well as well as we're talk about what it is, where where it's headed. Wow. So this um, uh, interesting question is, is the program that you have going to be more for physicians to learn how to uh, like healthy cooking to convey that to their patients or is this going to be directly correlated to people that want to get into culinary medicine as a profession well uh, ultimately there's going to be the opportunity for people to use culinary medicine as a profession and and certainly now uh, as this discipline is evolving there's an opportunity for physicians really all healthcare providers uh, to become familiar with this, we're working with folks, uh, with hospitals, hospital systems to help them implement uh, culinary medicine because it's such a powerful uh, tool uh, on many, many different levels. Um, we have a aspect having a, a, an accredited culinary school here as well. There's an opportunity for people to come into culinary medicine following a culinary track. So. One can imagine that hospitals are really offering patient-centric food experiences based on the principles of culinary medicine. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating that I got a lot of positive feedback on in teaching our Introduction to Culinary Medicine class or course over the fall is how many misperceptions there are that still get promulgated you know, throughout society, I walk in, I'm on the road a lot teaching and working. You know, I walk into the hotel and they're offering, you know, the healthy, heart-healthy choice breakfast, and it's it's an egg-white omelet. And I'm like, exactly. you know, that's so 1970s. So I'm, I'm waiting for the disco ball and, and the Bee Gees to come on over the PA system. Uh, so there's really, it's, it's a dynamic field. We're learning things about the gut microbiome. Uh, we're learning about nutrigenomics. One of uh, the faculty I've recruited is a, a world expert in nutrigenomics and understanding that and, and really understanding and what I think sets our culinary medicine course apart from others is, is understanding those softer edges. And as we're seeing, it's not just what we eat in terms of RDAs or calories, 
but it's it's how we eat, it's with whom we eat, it's when we eat, it's it's where we eat. All these things cycle back in almost a lifestyle medicine type of effect uh, for either good or for ill. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I know this is a really a hot topic um, in the the world right now is nutrition and diets, and there's so much um, coming out about it. But I think one of the th- challenges I think is out there is there's so much information and there's so many different diets, whether it's a keto diet or vegan, you know, uh, carnivore, they're, and they're all Atkins, all various. What are your thoughts on those? And not saying what is the perfect diet, but what would your recommendation be for to be for healthiness? Well, I think you know our approach is one multidisciplinary, which is is what you alluded to. So it's not just nutrition. Um, certainly, understanding nutrition is part of it, but we've tried to have a nutrition first, a nutrition focused approach to diet for the last half century, and it's led us to where we are today, which is an explosion of chronic disease and Mm -hmm. unhealthy people in terms of being overweight and diabetes and and so on. So so clearly, you know, charting that course doesn't work, and that's why understanding the totality of the food experience, uh, looking at it not just with the doctor's eyes, but understanding it from a chef's perspective, is so critical because the culinary arts are primarily consumer driven. It's about delivering pleasure to your customers. And that pleasure, that positive aspect is very, very important. There is absolutely not one diet for all of us. I mean, nutrigenomics makes that clear. You can have a, a SNP, a single nucleotide polymorphism, uh, in your gene, for example, that deals with uh, the uh, transforming vitamin A from plant-based beta-carotene that we would eat into usable, you know, bioavailable forms of vitamin A. And if you happen to have that mutation, then you can actually suffer ill health effects if you were to be a vegan, for example. Mm-hmm. So clearly, it's not one size fits all. So what we teach is, you know, what are the principles out there? What does the data really tell us about saturated fat and red meat and uh, all these other salt and, and, and all these other things, the, the buzzwords that we hear? Let's look at the evidence and then let's make our ingredient selection, you know, based on the evidence. And what we're really finding in a nutshell is that it's not about exclusion. As I like to say, there is no salvation in deprivation. So it's not about denying yourself a delicious, uh, you know, red steak in favor of, you know, a turkey burger, for example, mm-hmm. because uh, if you happen to be in Montana and you can get grass-finished bison steak, I would argue that that is a heck of a lot healthier uh, than one of those industrially produced uh, turkey burgers, you know, where yeah. they're they're crammed uh, in there, they're fed GMO feed. So what we're learning is really something that comes from the culinary world in terms of sourcing quality ingredients. And so it's all about those selections. And then what are the flavor profiles that, that you enjoy? Uh, and, and apply those and stay away from the highly processing of our foods, the adulterated foods with Lots of these uh, additions, we're finding, for example, things that we thought were completely benign, 
uh, like polysorbate 80, uh, carboxymethylcellulose. These are both common food additives, the whole spectrum of different foods. And while they don't interact with human cells, we're finding they have very detrimental effects on the gut microbiome. So we're altering this gut bacteria that in terms is one of the major players uh, in modulating homeostasis between sort of our desired state and becoming pro-inflammatory. And this inflammation we're seeing is at the root of so many of the chronic maladies we deal with. Heart disease is inflammation, diabetes is inflammation, obesity is inflammation, joint mm-hmm. issues are inflammation. So we've gotten kind of out of whack uh, in terms of many aspects of our lifestyle. Culinary medicine obviously predominantly focuses on the, the culinary aspects of that and try to bring us back and restore us to center. So I hear a lot how food can be a preventative for disease and sickness. What about food being a cure when you already have a disease or a sickness? How do you feel about that? There's plenty of great data out there. Uh, the PREDIMED group out of Europe has done some phenomenal work looking at what I call the Mediterranean approach to food. And, and, and you made a reference to all these diets, and the Mediterranean one is mm-hmm. – one I like to, to talk about because people say, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm going to put my patients on a Mediterranean diet. And I'm like, well, exactly what is that? Yeah. Right? There's like 20-plus countries around the Mediterranean. Is it pasta from southern Italy? Is it polenta from northern Italy? Is it Lebanese lamb stew? Is it harissa from Morocco? Uh, is it, you know, a wonderful uh, foie gras dish from the south of France? All these are Mediterranean countries. So that's why I I specifically say it's a Mediterranean approach because what we do in culinary medicine, for example, this is a a great example, is we look and say what are the similar things in all these different cultures because all these different countries, you know, have a – advantage uh, when we look in terms of diet and its effect. And what we find is that the Mediterranean diet um, is really the Mediterranean approach, which is about consuming fresh, wholesome, authentic foods and avoiding a lot of these processed foods, particularly things like sugar-sweetened beverages or diet beverages and the energy drinks and things that you know, are so, so ubiquitous, um, you know, in the, in the Western diet in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that's like the kind of things that we look at. And when we look at, at a group like the PREDIMED group, what we find is they've actually reversed type 2 diabetes, a uh, reduction in hard endpoints like mortality, stroke, heart disease by having people focus on a Mediterranean approach. And, and in a fascinating corollary to that, one of the things I stress, one of the books I wrote was The Fallacy of the Calorie, how we're obsessed with calorie counting, which reflects nothing about the quality of the foods we eat. Uh, They had a 30% reduction in cardiovascular endpoints on an unrestricted Mediterranean diet, meaning nobody kept track of how many calories you ate because the Mediterranean diet actually contains more fat than the modern Western diet. So, you know, when we sit down and we look at these things, these dictates that come down, you know, from on high saying, you've got to cut out the fat of your diet. But wait, you know, people in France and the Mediterranean are eating way more fat than us, and they're much more healthy. So 
obviously, you know, that should encourage us to dig deeper. Uh, we have a tendency when this data comes in, and you've probably heard about the French paradox, and then we talk about the Inuit paradox, and then we've got all these paradoxes, and we just kind of push that data out of the way and say, well, that's odd. There's your obesity paradox. That doesn't even make sense. Um, that's curious. And then we go back to pushing, you know, guidelines that dictates that have really done nothing but drive us uh, to, I would say, the crisis point we face today in terms of health and, and, and chronic debilitating disease and, and cardiovascular disease at the top of that. It's a number one killer in this country. There's three of us chatting today. You know, one of us is going to die of heart disease. Uh, you know, those are the, those are the mind numbing statistics of it all. Okay. And some studies suggest that diet could impact up to 70% of, uh, cardiovascular events. Yeah. I actually, um, I just read last year, um, How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. Can yeah, I jump please. in here? Because I know this book is very popular, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, uh, I, I have a real bone to pick with that because, it's a lie, right? So the first thing uh, in understanding the reality of life, and one of the things we teach in this course is you will die. All of us will die. So this book about how not to die in the title, uh, yeah. there is, you, because people get get wound up in this idea that if I deprive myself, I, if I eat this and I don't eat that, that you know I'm going to live forever. You know, Here's how not to die. Well, that's a lie. Uh, all of us will die. It's an uncomfortable reality. Um, but, you know, having trained for decades and decades as a martial artist, uh, being in the healthcare field, um, you know, I think it's very irresponsible to put that title out because it's something that uh, we really need to address. And we do a very, very poor job of it um, in this country and really within the medical community. So, it's not about how not to die. It's more about how to cross the finish line. Yeah, you know, do you want to be dragged across um, because mm-hmm. of the lifestyle choices you have made, or do you want to stride across uh, uh, under your own power, under your own terms? Again, reflecting the decisions and lifestyle choices you have made. You know, I'm a huge Metallica fan, and uh, one of their songs says it all, you know, my lifestyle determines my death style. So I think it's very important that people realize there is no magic diet. There's not a magic pill. And mm-hmm. to put things into people's heads that, oh, if you eat this, you're never going to have a, a you know disease. You're never going to suffer and you're never going to die. That's just, that's, you know, that's nothing more, in my opinion, than selling, you know, snake oil uh, because it plays on, on people's hopes. And mm-hmm. um, the reality of it is we're all going to die. And I think yeah. that's 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 even more impetus to say, you know what, while I'm here, I'm going to have great food. I'm going to make sure that I have time with family and friends. I'm going to enjoy the time here specifically because it's a, it's a limited, invaluable resource. I mean, People talk all the time. Anyone in healthcare who walks through an ICU or a CCU sees it all the time that time is, you know, our most precious gift and Absolutely. it's limited and you can't get it back. Um, yeah. so, so, so use it wisely. And you know what? I knew that asking that because, um, I think the how not to die was a, I mean, obviously me 
being um, a marketing director, that was definitely for them gain. How do we sell some books? How not to die? Exactly. But, um, but my question was not to go specifically into what Dr. Greger talks about, but he was inspired to go into this part of medicine because he saw how food completely changed his grandmother's life. Um, you know, changing her diet. Uh, I mean, he truly believes that it reversed her cancer and um, kept her alive from, she was supposed to die around 50, I believe, remembering correctly, and she lived into her 90s. Do you have anything like that that you've seen um, that's inspired you to get into this even more seriously? There's a great story uh, about a, a gentleman from Greece, um, a, from Ikaria, uh, which is a small island in the Greek uh, archipelago, uh, actually noted for its olive oil and also for the fact that the natives there do a lot of foraging. Most people in the modern West world, certainly in the United States, actually exist on about 10 vegetables, uh, mm-hmm. of which corn, wheat, rice, and bananas make up uh, you know, the, the top echelon there. Uh, so anyway, this guy had emigrated over, and this is actually a well-documented story, and uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he decided he wanted to die at home. So he went home and got off the modern Western diet and went back to, again, what we would call a Mediterranean approach, his traditional uh, diet of the residents of, of uh, Icaria, and he lived like another 40 years into his 90s, and the, the tumor went away. Wow. Uh, and uh, he did nothing other than continue to exercise. I was a very uh, physical kind of guy. I did a lot of physical labor. He continued to do that, and he completely changed his diet and went back to eating real foods. And this is something that's also been seen. Are you familiar with uh, the National Geographic's uh, Blue Zone uh, work done by uh, Dan uh, Buchman, I believe, um, I'm not sure I got his, his last name right there, but are, are you guys familiar with that at all? No, sorry. Oh, that's okay. It's, it's, it's a great story. It got its name Blue Zones because the people at National Geographic wanted to do some research and do a special on areas of the world where people not only live to be uh, 100 or more, but they're also in great health right up until mm-hmm. the end. And so they had a map, and they were – identifying these particular pockets around the world, and they had a blue highlighter uh, on the desk, so they circled them in blue, and that's how they became known as Blue Zones. And so Dan's written on this. It's available at National Geographic. Uh, They've done a, a lot of great research. Long story short, what they've found is that there's not one particular diet. There's not... Uh, you know, one magic elixir, as we've alluded to, but it's a combination of social support. It's a combination of eating wholesome, authentic food. So everywhere they went, these people, whether they ate red meat or they ate vegetables or they ate fish or they drank red wine or they drank rice wine, whatever it was, it was very wholesome, natural foods. And, uh, again, they had a very strong social uh, support network, and that's what identified areas of great health because it was all around the world, so it wasn't somebody's isolated genetics. 
And, and this is in concert with what was found with the Harvard Happiness Study, which was a 75-year, two-part study, the Grant McGluick studies, where they followed people in the United States for over 70 years and said, amongst all the variables in our lives, what is most important? What are the top things that determine how long we live, how well we live, how satisfied we are with our lives? And, and very simply, it turned out to be the quality of our relationships. And, and I would submit to you that amongst the relationships in our lives that are most important is our relationship with food. And our relationship with food, being social creatures, often is the foundation and serves as a fulcrum for our relationships with each other. And and that, forgive the pun, at the heart of it is what our culinary medicine program seeks to educate and explore uh, and, and apply. This is a good question for you because you seem super passionate about your specialty. If you had to give some advice to physicians coming out of training, ready to pick their specialty, what advice would you give them to help navigate this process? Follow your passion. Um, you don't want to walk into, you know, medicine has changed a lot in, in the decades that I've been doing it. Um, and, you know, you don't want to work in, into the hospital, into your office, really in, in any job. and find yourself frustrated and just trying to get done. Um, you want to be passionate uh, you know, about uh, what you do. So follow that passion wherever it leads. There was no such thing as culinary medicine, you know, when I started out, and it's been a long, strange trip uh, to bring this, you know, birthing into being, make it a reality that is happening now, you know, all around us. Um, certainly folks are interested in something like this. We've educated physicians to put culinary medicine uh, into their practice. Uh, we're working with healthcare institutions and hospitals, and if anybody's listening out there that's, that's interested, they can certainly contact me and we'll get them, you know, started. Um, but uh, the most important thing for, for anything in life, um, you know, it's, it's Joseph Campbell, uh, when I was a, a very young man, I read his uh, his books, um, very powerful author, The Hero of a, a Thousand Faces and so on and so forth, PBS specials. But something always stuck with me, and he said, whatever you do in life, follow your bliss. And I think that has turned out over the course of my life to be great advice. And so wherever in medicine, because something obviously attracted you to pursue this field, uh, follow that passion where, wherever it takes you and just look, you know, for, for good teachers. No, I think it's great advice. And that, that's uh, really uh, echoes the same sentiment of most people that we have on the podcast is when you're choosing a specialty, it's you've got to have something. You're doing something for the next 30 years. It's got to be something you have a passion about. But um, I have a question for you, Dr. Umfinger. After you finished um, uh, your uh, cardiology, what made you decide to do interventions as another fellowship? How do you go about making that decision? Why did you choose to get into specifically interventional cardiology? Um, you know, I think it has to do with your personality. All the great interventional cardiologists I've ever met um, were, were uh, a, a bit uh, OCD. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we've got, I think, sort of that 
uh, fighter pilot, race car driver gene buried somewhere in us. And it's about getting there, in there, and fixing it and making it right and, and really pushing the edge. Uh, you are, you know, I, I loved the science of, of cardiology in terms of, particularly in terms of the hemodynamics and, and flow data. And, you know, it's just, it's just an amazing thing to me to think, you know, our heart starts beating in the, the womb. And, you know, that's the thing that uh, powers us, you know, throughout, you know, our trip on this plane, throughout, you know, our life. And so many ancient cultures, you know, uh, talked about living in our heart. The heart was the, the seat of who we are. And I think sometimes in our society, we could do with a little bit of that wisdom and live more in our heart and less in our heads, because um, that can be a pretty sterile, um, depressing sort, sort of place. So I think that, you know, for me, uh, the interest in the science of cardiology, um, the lore of the of of the function of the heart throughout the history of humankind. And then you throw in a bit of that instant gratification and pushing the envelope uh, with really cool technology, you know, and exploring that and making an immediate difference, you know, on the frontier between life and death. And and for me, boy, you, you, you couldn't have picked something that sort of excites me in terms of, you know, my passion. And, and I've done this for many years and gotten a lot of radiation and you know, as we mature and we go through life, you know, different passions meld and resurface. And I'm as excited about culinary medicine now as I have been about interventional cardiology, you know, when I started out on that path, you know, in my teens and 20s. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've uh, I've worked a couple of interventional cardiologists, and you're so accurate with the way you described it. Because one of them had uh, climbed Everest. And she was, that's what her passion was. She actually tried it three times and she was up there one time when it, uh, there was, um, an, an avalanche happened and they had to shut everything down. So she actually got to base camp three times before she could finally summon it. And talk to another guy who his passion is he races sailboats. So across the world and everything. So you can definitely tell, I don't want to say if it's an adrenaline junkie, but they have that passion for life with most interventional cardiologists that I talk to. Yeah, it's, it's, there's definitely sort of a, a thrill gene that, uh, that, that I think you have to have. I mean, you talk to a fighter pilot or, you know, a race car driver and, you know, they watch somebody wreck. And, and I remember uh, a quote from uh, the late, great Dale Earnhardt. And he said, well, you know, they said, wow, you just about wrecked before you won that championship at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And he said, well, of course. He said, you know, I'm a seven-time Winston Cup champion. I can drive it you know, harder and faster than anyone else can. And he said, no, I can't. <laughs> but but you have to have that attitude that, oh, you know, where somebody else would have failed, I would have succeeded. I, and you have to have, I think, the confidence to walk in there and say, yeah, I can fix this. Yeah, uh, We're going to get this done. Um, if you don't, if you have doubt, and it's not to say that, that we're reckless about it, um, far from it. It's the exact opposite. As you point out, it's like, you know, being an astronaut, um, you're willing to push those boundaries and those frontiers and, you know, do things um, that have a real element of life and death because it just doesn't get any more soul-defining than 
and that to participate in that and and it's 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 a great um gift a patients trust you you know to help them and and it's a very helpless thing to be a patient on the table having a huge heart attack at the cusp of death and to have um you know to invite somebody in basically and say yeah here I am help me um heady stuff it's a heady brew. It is, and I know it's uh, similar to what um, Alex Arnold said, the guy who climbed um, uh, that free soloed up um, in Yosemite. The, uh, yeah. uh, in Yosemite, he said, "I'm able to do this because I take the ultimate precautions." He said, "This is not a death wish. I take every precaution possible, which is why I'm, I'm able to do this." And, and I think for those of us that have had the good fortune um, and and really. Of the blessing to be able to do this craft uh, for really any number of years is to go back to what we talked about earlier, a great appreciation for, you know, life and, and death mm-hmm. and uh, to realize, you know, what a, a precious gift our time here is and how we can, you know, help people have the best life, have the best experience. And from for my little, you know, two cents from from my world, that's about communicating that and, and enriching that, you know, through the food experience, um, get, bringing pleasure as a chef, but also bringing, you know, healing, um, you know, as a physician. And and I would say when you meld those two together, um, you kind of have the ultimate cardiology thing because you heal broken hearts, um, both literally and figuratively, yeah. and um, you know. Sounds a little corny, but I like it. Yeah. Um, so we're almost out of time, but I we have a couple more questions for you. This one is one of my favorites. What has been, uh, I would say as a cardiologist, what has been your most interesting case to date? Uh, probably doing a emergency procedure on a critically ill patient Um you know, through they actually presented with anomalous coronary artery. We wrote this up many years ago as a case report, and you know, first of all, engaging that thing and you know, doing the wires and like I said, under emergent situation, and then stenting the anomalous coronary and you know, opening that back up. That was that was probably amongst the the most interesting uh, cases uh, that I've done, just because. You know, you experience that once, and there's a good chance you will go your entire career never experiencing something like that. So, particularly because it had a great outcome too, it's always yeah. a good memory. That always makes it easier, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Um, so I think a last question for us, and I really appreciate you being flexible with your time. This has been uh, absolutely fascinating. Is what? advice would you give to somebody whether they're in medical school residency fellowship what advice would you give somebody coming out and getting getting into the world of medicine um there are a lot of changes and like most things um in modern western society the rate of change is accelerating and i encourage people to Get involved, be passionate, and and really to think um, what we have seen. To draw an analogy in the world of food is a concept uh, by the sociologist George Ritzer, 
called the McDonaldization, you know, of Western society. And so we implement algorithms and we do things often faster, but not necess- that does not necessarily make them better. And so I see that happening more and more in medicine where patients are not individuals or people. They're simply, you know, collections that sit in certain silos and we apply certain algorithms, um, you know, don't when you go into medicine, don't be a fast food worker and assemble food. You know, in medicine, be a chef and craft something of quality, of of individuality, you know, for your patients and, and your pursuits. Because if we don't do that, uh, I think that what we will find is that we will be replaced because a computer is much better at sorting and funneling through algorithms than a human beings are. And if we lose that touch of humanity in whatever aspect of medicine you decide to go into, um, we will in the very near future, probably not my lifetime, but probably in the lifetime of those people entering medical school and residency and things now within their lifetime be quickly replaced, you know, by a computer algorithm. And, And I think that is a a great disservice uh, to all of humanity. Yeah, that's super interesting. Well, I can't believe we're out of time already. If any of our listeners want to look you up, Dr. Funster, maybe get your book, where would they find you? Uh, They can visit me at www.chefdrmike.com, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, uh, and you can also email me from that website, uh, the website is undergoing some uh, updates and, and an overhaul as we head into the new year. So it may be down for a couple of days, but the email link should be there. And I answer uh, all my own emails. So uh, feel free. You can also find all my books on Amazon. If you read them and you like them, uh, do give it the four stars. My publishers love that. So we, we appreciate uh, that. And, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody regarding you know, their thoughts, impressions, whatever. It's been a, a really a, a fun ability to, to chat with you on. I think we covered kind of a, a whole broad range of things, but that's that's what life's about. That's what makes it great and makes it interesting. Absolutely. And I'll link all of your information in the description part of this podcast. But thank you so much for giving us your precious time today. Um, we're super thankful to get to know you and what you do. And uh, I know I always say this, we always say, to veterans, thank you for thanking them for their service. But I feel like doctors, uh, I like to say this to you guys too. So thank you for what you do. Um, well, thank thank you. It's it's very very much uh, appreciated. And um, as we all know, you know, simple acts of kindness go a long way, and that that's powerful medicine in and of its own right. And um, much appreciated. Thank you, you all, uh, and thank all of the folks out there that uh, listen to this today. So. Much, much appreciated all around. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. Fenster. Yes, sir. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.